Kramer, and this is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and brightest experts in the Amazon and e-commerce space. Also extends out farther than the reaches of just those topics, of course, but we want to bring people who come onto this podcast to help you apply applicable information, help your business grow and be successful today, not tomorrow, not a couple of months from now, today. So with that being said, um, this is Crossover Commerce, episode 184. If you haven't been a part of this podcast, you know, or if you have listened to this before, you know it is presented by Ping Pong Payments. Ping Pong Payments is a cross-border payment solution. What does that mean? It means it can help you save time, money, and effort by sending international currency and localized amounts. That means you can pay your suppliers, your manufacturers, your distributors, your VAs, whatever it might be. If you're working with them internationally, you can send them localized currency. Don't pay those fees that banks charge you or any sort of other outside institution. Save on international conversion fees with ping pong payments. If you're also receiving from different marketplaces, um, internationally receiving from Canadian dollar, the Australian dollar, uh, the, uh, the pound, the euro, whatever that might be, it can be done all through ping pong payments. Go ahead and sign up for free today by going to usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast. That way you can go ahead and see every one of our episodes that we've done in the past, sign up for free, and then also uh, watch or listen to all of our available podcasts. They're going to be on your uh, most popular destinations as well. So as long as you search for crossover commerce, that is where you can listen to all of the great content that we've produced over the past year and a half or so. Uh, today is Friday, so wherever you might be listening to us, whether it be afternoon, evening, morning, sometimes on the West Coast if you're in the United States, we appreciate you tuning in just for a little bit of your time on a Friday, possibly Saturday, uh, wherever you might be located. But the reason that it's live is because we want to bring you relevant information and also that our audience, if you're listening to us on those Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitter channels, you can ask your questions directly to our guests. Uh, so if you have a question or if you want to say just hello, go ahead and do so in the comments section below. If you're listening to us, again, go ahead and write in the comments section of the show notes, and you'll also be able to talk with us, ask your questions, and we'll make sure you get in touch with our guest today. But about our guest today, I don't want to leave him hanging for too long. Um, our guest today comes from the company of Uncapped. His name is Asher Ishmael, Ismail, excuse me. Um, and we've titled today's episode, Lessons from Investing $120 million into over 100 D2C brands. That's a lot. That's a lot of um, company interactions. That's a lot of investing and helping companies grow. But he and his company are one of the fastest, most affordable ways um, to fund marketing, inventory, or hiring. And they're being they're leading the way in those kinds of stages for SMBs and enterprise level brands with no ties to any sort of uh, and I'll let him speak on this too, of course, but uh, really just an innovative way to help businesses grow by investing into a vision and into a company by using data. So that being said, want to welcome to Crossover Commerce, Asher Ismail of Uncapped. Asher, thank you for joining Crossover Commerce. Hey, Ryan. Great to be here. Yeah. And uh, you're joining from me from the UK, correct? We talked about this pre-show. What part of uh, England are you in? I'm actually based in London. Um, I'm originally from from Toronto, Canada, hence the funny accent. But I originally <laughs> came here for 12 months, and it's been 12 years, so this is home now. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! London, my third favorite European city that I've been to, um, very closely behind Paris and also Rome. So love London. Have a great friends in London. 
just a beautiful city, just lots of happening there in the tech scene, finance scene. Um, but that's amazing. So, uh, born in Toronto, grew up, uh, grew up there and then obviously moved across. Why did you move across? Like, what, what was the opportunity? Tell me about your background and, uh, you've been featured in, uh, TechCrunch, Forbes, really a huge publication. So you're, you're a kind of a big deal. And I would say, uh, fascinating background, but for people who may not be familiar with Uncapture, you yourself, um, what was that journey like for you up until this date? Yeah, well, you know, my background's in startups. Uh, Uncapped is the third business that I started over the years. And probably the biggest problem I always had was getting the funding I needed. So, you know, working with hundreds of e-commerce founders, I've also seen, you know, how they struggled. So, you know, for me, it's a dream to get to work on Uncapped. You know, every day I get to help other entrepreneurs get the funding they need. And, you know, our first customers as well were my friends. So from the start, we really tried to create something that is fast and fair and friendly and, you know, everything that you'd want to give to a mate. Um, the company, I guess, you know, was was born probably out of kind of the frustrations I faced when I was running my first business. Um, I started back in 2003 and I was young and I just wanted to raise 100K. And I probably went to 100 meetings and got 100 no's. And, you know, I didn't want to take financing from the banks either because they all wanted personal guarantees. And venture capital, you know, it wasn't ideal either because I didn't have that track record or connections or a warm introduction. So I just repeatedly like missed out on growth opportunities. And then Interesting. I was going to say, know. yeah. So I was, yeah, that that's so, I mean, I think everyone can relate to that story. So sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That, that's, that's such a great story and, and from the beginning. And uh, how'd you overcome all of that basically? Well, you know, I guess it kind of continued like when, you know, when I was raising money then for my second business, um, I was in the UK then, and, you know, I thought I had it figured out. I ended up raising like, millions in venture capital. But then I got terribly diluted and I just started to realize that the options for me were really limited. And it was kind of depressing to think that I could work so hard and own so little of my company. And I just started to notice that it wasn't just me, right? It was like growing businesses were just often left to choose between either raising like costly venture capital or burdening themselves with traditional debt. And so I thought there must be a better way. And I started to work on cap basically to try to give them, you know, a more friendly way um, to first fund businesses in Europe and now in North America. And I guess, you know, since we've, you know, as you mentioned, we've given 120 million plus of funding to businesses who've gone on to create tons of jobs and opportunities. So yeah, it's been really cool to be able to see those founders own more of their businesses and you know, save in that dilution. I was gonna say, so what uh, you said, you've owned three companies. What was that first company that you were uh, having people try to buy into? And you said, there's lots of people who would give you that, but they would basically take essentially a piece of the company, which would be profit or shares into the company if you grew upon that, right? Yeah. What were those companies? So my first company was a business called Make It Matter. It was a marketplace for social projects. So like, imagine you had like an idea to improve your community, like um, say like Ryan, the um, wall in, a, in your, your school had been like graffitied. You mm -hmm. could like take a picture of that, put it up on Make It Matter and somebody else who maybe, you know, was in your committee, maybe was an alumni, would see that and say, hey, I want to you know, actually give some funding to that. So they would make a donation. Um, somebody else would give some time and say, hey, I know how to paint. I'm an, I'm an artist. I'm going to make that part of it happen. And then we had partners, like, for example, L'Oreal was our partner in creativity. So whenever somebody funded a project in the arts, L'Oreal would match that donation. And we then say, you know, L'Oreal makes it matter. And uh, yeah, it was great. We got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of projects kind of funded and going and, you know, a variety of really cool partners. But, uh, you know, still that fundamental struggle of getting 
the capital to really take it to the next level was was the challenge. Right. So you learn from that that project of taking it from one step further into your next company and then onto Uncap. So that struggle it always sounds like raising funds, and, I, and that's what I think is the most. It seems like the easiest way for people who have those connections, right, to to capital and to have that great idea. It's is it a relationship business or is it more of a, a thought and idea business where a lot of people think if I have a good idea, I should be able to have easy access to capital. Is it is it a little both or one or the other? Well, we're trying to change the world, so we make it a little bit more that way. You know, I think definitely in, in the world of funding, historically it has been very much a relationship kind of game. Um, and you know, if you especially if you want to raise equity, uh, it can be you know one of the most challenging experiences that a founder will undertake, because inevitably it's going to take. Um, you know, dozens of meetings and conversations to kind of make that happen. And along the way, you'll meet, you know, some investors who are genuinely interested in your business, but you'll also meet folks who are, for example, only speaking to you because they're actually interested in investing in your competitor. Or you'll meet another investor who says, hey, I'll back you, but only if somebody else would lead this. Or mm -hmm. another investor who, you know, will ask you tons of questions about your future financial plans when you both kind of know that it's a bit of hogwash. But ultimately, you know, if you're going down the route of equity, you'll meet one investor who does get you and, you know, wants to back you. And I think that's the thing, you know, in, in that world of investment, all it takes is one person to finally say yes. And so for me, you know, at my, in my last company um, or the previous one, it was, you know, uh, I met actually a, a person who maybe at that hundredth meeting uh, took pity on me. They were actually a philanthropist. And so they gave me that initial funds, but they ended up opening a bunch of doors and being really useful in building that model. That's amazing. The challenging thing, of course, is that so many people don't necessarily meet that person. Um, but the other part of it is that all that time that you know I spent, or you know perhaps some of your listeners have spent, trying to chase those funds is time that you're not growing your company. You know, really, as an entrepreneur, you want to be solving a problem and spending your time focused on your team and your customers. And you know, getting that done faster means you can really get back to growing your business. And so, with Uncapped, you know, I think we've tried to create this new alternative way of funding companies where you can skip those steps and you know actually get the funding that you need much quicker. Does it uh in your past and your experience are entrepreneurs pretty insightful how much they need or do you think a lot of more businesses over ask or do they under ask? Is, is there is there a lot of like discrepancies when you're looking through all these potential people to come in they're like I need 10 million dollars and you go what for? And they say I need it for marketing, and it feels like that's always the conversation that you see on like either Shark Tank or I'm assuming in board meetings of when they go into a bank or go to a company like Uncapped. Is, is it completely off of what they actually need, and it's your job to kind of like rein them in and say, "Listen, if you really want to work on this, you only need this." Yeah, I mean, obviously um, there there's a range of asks that you get. I think a bigger danger is folks who don't ask for enough funds. And I think what, what it really comes down to is like thinking about your fundraising milestones and planning for that. So, you know, if you are a seller and you know that you are going to have a huge Q4, you want to be thinking about that and planning for, you know, getting that next set of funding that gives you the funds you'll need to unlock that additional growth. And perhaps even some more funding because, you know, as we all know, there's been some massive um, supply chain challenges that so many e-commerce companies have been facing this last period where you know, they want to actually stock up and you know, have that additional access to inventory. So if there is a challenge, they can, they can overcome it, right? 
And I think knowing that's critically important. If you're earlier in the journey though, and you're more, you know, going to an investor, I just try to think, imagine, you know, if you were on the other side of the ask, you know, would you give this person the money with all the information they've shared with you? And wouldn't you want to know what's going to happen to the funding? So, you know, I think a great way to think about it is like, you know, if you give me 10K, I'll be able to do this. If you gave me 50K, here's how the money will be used. You know, if you gave me um, 25K, uh, part of it's going to go towards, you know, making the prototype. And I found a company that's going to do it and they're going to charge me 20K and I need another 5K for design. And now you start to have a little bit more confidence that this person is actually going to spend this money wisely and that, you know, me as an investor will get a return. And I think, I think having that confidence and understanding just makes you much more investable. Right. So in that, in that regards, um, you guys are, you're trying to change the way how people look for it. You alluded to earlier, um, investing came from either going through banks or going through funds or anything of that sort. And as an entrepreneur, I can't even, I can't even imagine where to even have that educational model, wherever that exists, and then try to figure out. Who should I go through? Um, how is that going to affect me and my business on the underlying models? So like, what was the old way of doing those business and how are you guys, they're evolving and changing ways and how is it different from other companies might exist out there like that? Yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, the traditional models that people have had to fund companies up till today is basically debt and equity, right? So every funding agreement typically revolves around those two models. And, you know, both of them have their challenges, right? And like, I kind of alluded to some of those where, you know, debt typically requires um, personal guarantees and compounding interest and, you know, that basic, you know, high level risk that's being taken on you, which so often entrepreneurs can access, you know, typically a bank will want two years of history before they're really going to give you access to any significant capital. And, you know, if you're in the days right now of e-commerce, hey, you, you are um, starting out much sooner than that and wanting to monetize your business. Equally with equity, you know, the challenge, of course, is giving away control and giving up that share of your company because once you give it away, you can't get it back. So it effectively is the you know, most expensive way to fund a company's growth. And you know, our idea is to create this new alternative to that, which is centered on this belief that founders, they shouldn't have to give away ownership of their company to fund growth. So we provide, you know, equity and interest-free investments that start from 10K up to 5 million, and we charge a flat 6% fee on the capital we provide. So businesses only actually repay us the capital as they make revenue. There's no set repayment date. There's no compounding interest, equity, or personal guarantees. There's also no pitching. So, you know, and so, you know, forget the model about having to prepare this detailed business plan or meet a bunch of found, meet a bunch of investors for coffee. And so it really means that you can get back to growing your company. So basically if I'm earning X and they need to borrow, you know, $10,000 or something like that, you're just charging, you know, 6%, which would be what, $600. Is that my math doing that correctly? Um, yeah. yeah, $600 and that's it. So they would get that all up front. How does, how does that work in that model? Because yeah. I'm asking 5 million and I don't make that back. You might be out 5 million if you give that all <laughs> to somebody. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, how are you guys mitigating that risk as well? Yeah. So like with an example, like, you know, if we were to lend you hundred K to spend on marketing, we take back a fixed portion of your daily revenue, which might be like say five or 10% daily until we get a total of 106 K back. So there's no hidden fees. You're just paying that 6% flat fee. And yeah, of course, it requires us to be really smart about who we give capital to. 
but our approach is really different as well. So like what we do is we connect to the data sources that your company already uses to run. So we'll connect to your Shopify account or your you know, Google and Facebook or to your accounting software. We have a hundred different ways where we can use APIs to connect to your data and understand your business with this 360 degree view. And then what we can do is you know, use a data-driven approach to actually get you an offer within 24 hours. And amazingly, that also just removes a lot of the bias because you know, what's happening when you're going to a bank or when you're going to an equity investor, of course, um, you know, there's challenges in terms of who they decide to let go on capital to. They're effectively pattern matching based on you, know, you as a person. Whereas what we're trying to do is really evaluate your business and you know, make sure that then the founders who really deserve capital have access to it in a much faster way. Gotcha. If I'm, if I'm a business owner, this might sound like a silly question. How do I know that I'm ready for funding or how do I know I need it? Um, is there a difference or is there a time or a, a metric that you guys look at or a business owner can look at when they need it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uncapped is great for you if you are doing at least 10K of monthly sales. Okay. You've been around for, you know, at least six months and you have, you know, some, some good unit economics developing. And the reason for that is that, you know, we think at this stage of the business, when you've gotten to a place where you're generating that 10K per month, you've probably gotten away from the mode where this is, you know, a side hustle. You're starting to think, hey, I've gotten this to a place where actually this could be a real business. I could scale this. I could do this, start to do this full time and be able to, you know, afford that. And, you know, you're ready probably to take it. If you have that good unit economics that you found, you're ready to take it to that next level. And effectively, what we want to do is, you know, give you the funding to unlock that growth option so you can actually see how it can play out. Or if you're later in the journey, like we've also worked with much larger businesses who are at a state where they just want a more affordable source. They want this flexibility where they know that the payments are going to actually be connected to the revenues. Because I think, you know, for me in both my businesses, one of my greatest worries always was, you know, if I go and take out a bunch of debt, what if I can't afford to pay it back? And here, you know, the repayments totally flex with your revenue. And it just gives you that comfort and confidence to be able to go out and place those bigger bets. Um, if you see that opportunity coming up in Q4 and you want to go after it, now you have the confidence to go and do it. Right. So it's on you and your team to actually have like this excess of fluid funds too, as well, because people are coming and going, is that a hard as a business owner? I'm just curious on your end, on the back end of what do you expect on a day-to-day -day basis of, hey, we could have a really good month this month and not know what and not hit that projection next month. So in ask, is, is that hard to project like a base minimum of a, a business that's having recurring revenue come in when your whole business models around fluidity of money, essentially? Yeah. So, I mean, what we've done is we've looked at thousands of businesses and, you know, analyze their data and understand the patterns. We've built some amazing algorithms that help us understand and predict how businesses in different categories are going to perform. And we use that to make a lot of our decisions. We also use that to help the companies that we fund. So we like to think, you know, we're the smartest money that a founder could get because we're also able to turn around those same insights we use to um, help, you know, decide which companies to lend to, to also help those companies unlock the opportunities that are in their data, that are in their marketing, and you know, also connect them to other partners who can help them accelerate and, you know, get to that next level of growth. Gotcha. What about, um, in terms of when you guys raise funds, is it do you did you find it hard? Because um, it's not it's not hard to look on your website and see that you guys raised funds as well. 
was it hard to take your own advice and to go to investors or angel investors or VCs or however, I don't need to know the details and put that model in front of them and say, this is why what you might be doing is, needs to be different and fluctuate based upon what we're asking you. Like our business model is different than what we're actually approaching you for. Was that a weird catch 22 of uh, presenting wow. yourself in front of investors? Well, you know, it is kind of funny that, um, you know, we're basically presenting an alternative to venture capital, but exactly. of course, we raise money to, from, from really incredible venture capital investors, some of the best funds in the world. And it may seem counterintuitive, but it's actually quite strategic, right? Because we're, we're raising money to actually build a new asset class. We're effectively, you know, fundraising so that, you know, you don't have to. And I think it's not to say that equity is necessarily bad. Equity is just a part of an entrepreneur's toolkit, right? Right. But what we believe that is fundamentally the wrong tool to fund the repeatable parts of your business, for example, like digital ad spend or inventory. Um, you know, so we encourage companies to actually spend equity on technical risk and R&D. And that's exactly where we put our money because we were, we're investing in building the technology and artificial intelligence to be able to make these kind of forecasts and fund companies in new, new environments. And so, yeah, doing that fundraising effectively so, so other folks don't need to. Right. I was going to say there, there has to be a part of the business where you would prefer to have people take money and apply it to you, right? That, that repeatable portion, whether it's in inventory goods, something where they can even tap back into you and have that, that business model, what it repeats over and over again. Is that, is that where a lot of people struggle with is I think I know how to sell. So I need access to marketing and that's where they get in that catch of, um, equity to your business. I, I I think I saw where you were going with, you don't want to give away equity in your business just to apply to marketing, which doesn't have that repeatable sort of business to it. But you guys are kind of pushing in the different direction of, hey, let's get you more inventory so you can sell more so you can reinvest into your company in that regards. Is that more of the, the wheel you want to create? Yeah, absolutely. Because like, I, I guess uh, I want a way of putting it, but why why have a different capital allocation strategy for your marketing versus perhaps the R&D part of your business, right? And, and you can just look to like much larger companies and you see effectively, you know, that's what a CFO of a, of a large enterprise would be doing, right? They would have different capital structures that exist for different parts of the business. Like, you know, if you want to fund an asset that you have, you might use one methodology for that. If you want to fund another part of your business, you have another method for that. But of course, that's really complex for a small business to go and try to execute on it, right? And so we're trying to instead make it an easy way to go and do that. And I think marketing is the best example because, you know, if you know that you already put one pound into Facebook and you get three pounds out, it's really silly to then give away equity in your company to go and fund that because you're going to get that money back tomorrow. So what we're saying is that's a repeatable, predictable part of your business using a funding model like revenue-based finance and what we're offering at Uncapped just gives you now the ability to make that way more affordable um, because instead it's only costing you 6%. So if you were getting you know, a 3X ROAS previously, you pay a 6% fee, you're still getting 2.94. And alternatively, it would be saying, I'm just not gonna bother going after that customer because I just can't afford it right now. And in case you're getting zero, so when you're comparing zero to 2.94, it's pretty clear that that's a bet you should take. Right. So, um, you know, that's kind of the, the model and the very simple way of thinking about how founders should go and approach this. Gotcha. 
So I, for everyone who's uh, tuning in and listening to us or just topped in, I have Asher Ismail of Uncapped. We're talking raising uh, funds in a non-traditional way. Well, I guess my question for you, Asher, is why doesn't this model exist already? I, I, I would think that is it maybe this this is takes a longer term or longer road in order to earn revenue for your business quicker in that regards and that's why people tend to go towards um capital in or what why why is this model different than every other ones that's why i'm guessing it hasn't popped up until now because <laughs> well, this seems very helpful and useful and it, it's not like a dummy like myself that i i can see the the basis around this it makes sense to me and it seems win-win for both sides. So why does that model exist out there more or ever before? Well, I, I guess I would just say that, you know, the historical model has been based on just the way we've always funded companies, right? And you definitely see this approach of thinking about um, having a royalty model or a revenue-based model in other spaces. We just haven't applied it to e-commerce. And I think why now is fundamentally because the data available to make decisions like this just wasn't available before. But now, you know, most e-commerce companies run on, uh, you know, a distinct set of platforms. There's APIs available to almost all of them. So we're able to actually get that understanding and make these kind of forecasts in a way we couldn't do before. Um, and, you know, I think that's one of the amazing things about technology. Um, if you're in the right place at the right time, you can you know, really capitalize on it. And for us, I mean, we've grown exponentially. So our company has been around for two years, but you know, now we are deploying hundreds of millions of dollars. We're in 22 countries, including the US, UK, Germany, Poland, Spain. And we actually fund more businesses in a day than a typical VC will fund in a year. So it's, I think, wow. really clear to us that entrepreneurs are seeing this as the new way to fund their companies and you know, it's just really taking off. I was gonna say, so what, 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 um... Instead of you just servicing UK-based businesses, obviously, you guys have made this an international play too. So, what are the complexities of international commerces at scale that you would have to look at differently? Because data sets are going to mean different things from country to country, right? Of market shares are going to be different. There's going to be um, uh, different pieces of pie that are greater. Obviously, if you can look at Amazon's model, you know where the top marketplaces are. You go. United States, uh, in terms of searchable, you know, um, converse, uh, economies, uh, you go US, UK, Germany, then you go Japan, and those are the top four traditionally. So when you look at different countries like that, what are the things at play that maybe you have to tweak in that regard? Yeah, you know, what's funny, I would say our challenge compared to the challenge of our customers of going international is we have a much easier job. Because, uh, you know, with, with our customers, they have physical supply chains where they need to think about managing that and understand all the partners and the 3PL and, you know, understand really different sets of customer requirements and local tastes. Um, in our case, we're a bit lucky because, um, you know, entrepreneurs across markets uh, in e-commerce think international typically from day one. So the vast majority of our customers are thinking about how they can already work internationally across businesses. And most of the tools that they use um, are also similar across markets. Um, you know, uh, it's incredible to be able to see how tools like Shopify, for example, have expanded around the world. Of course, in other markets, you know, you're going to see in Europe, maybe you'll have Presta Shop being more common. But there's great similarities in the thinking and structuring of that data 
And that's allowed us actually to, to move really fast. Um, probably the biggest differences that we need to deal with is more about understanding, you know, how do we how do we talk to customers in different markets? How do we make sure that we you know do all the legals that are required in a really simple, beautiful way? And that's I guess one of the other things we've always had as an advantage for our company is that you know typical you know a typical funding round that you do um, with you know a venture capitalist or an angel investor even often requires like tons of legal documentation and you know um, you know expensive fees to go and get it to close. With us, you know, our agreement is six pages. It's written in plain English. And so, you know, founders can just feel real confident in terms of what they're signing and you know, be able to ex execute on it quickly. And we want to have that consistent promise, you know, across the world. Amazing. So what, what's, um, where, where are you guys finding that most people and your customers are operating? Is it direct to consumer channels? Is it uh, different marketplaces? What are those kind of like breakdowns right now that you're seeing? I'd say probably the most common is, is Shopify. You know, we see, you know, there's obviously Shopify has exploded in this last period. You know, we've gone, we've seen, you know, 10 years of e-commerce growth and, you know, three months of the pandemic. And so many founders chose to, to use that as their, as their tool of like building their company. So we've been able to fund lots of businesses in that space. Um, but also, you know, other sellers, um, you know, because of those platforms and tools have, have made it really easy to, to get started and get connected. Um, are also really popular. Um, it's amazing to see um, just how many folks are actually using Amazon as a channel and really, you know, thinking about how they can, you know, extend their brand. If they're already on one platform, thinking about how they can also use that as a channel. And we really encourage founders to really think multi-channel or omni-channel, you know, from the start and really build like a diverse business. So yeah, it's, it's um, been great to support founders in lots of different ways. What was the most surprising or unique way that someone approached you and your team that needed capital or wanted access to it and it made you like double or double check and make sure you read that correctly whether it be a good or a bad thing or like you sure something like you had to show your your co-founder and say did you see this come through uh like make you laugh or just ha have make you stop in your tracks and have to look at it again well you know one of our first customers was a sustainable fashion brand called headwind and they basically this problem that so many entrepreneurs in fashion have where they just have to juggle their cash between like inventory and marketing. So like, you know, they'd have to basically wait for the current season to sell so they could invest the returns of the next one, right? So it's sort of like a, a step ladder kind of growth. And Alex and Anna are the founders of this company and they're like incredibly savvy. They both come from finance backgrounds. So they, you know, had looked at like every option to try and fund their business, but we managed to convince them to, you know, sign up with us. They took a 50K advance um, in 2019 and they use the money for inventory. And, you know, incredibly in Q1 of 2020, you know, we got the reports back from how they were doing and we saw their revenue had jumped 11,000% compared to the previous year. And I remember going to my co-founder and just thinking, oh my God, there's something wrong with the system. It's like broken. Um, we've like overcollected the amounts that were supposed to get repaid um, and we we're freaking out and we realized, no, actually, this business, now that they have the access to the capital that they need, they've actually been able to grow at this level. And, you know, I think it's just super inspiring to see what actually is possible when you take the right entrepreneur um, with the right business and just get them the capital they need to grow. I, I, I always have this notion that after when a lot of businesses have failed, and again, I, there's a lot of people that do statistics in the Amazon world of 6 million, 6.4 million or so, Sellers, now it's 1.5. Uh, 
why so many fail. And I would almost think because other than just some other, you know, in terms of the marketplace, other barriers that they have to overcome. There's a lot of different people, I think, that just don't feel like they can scale further. There's like a pretty healthy amount where they're sitting and they feel comfortable, but it's in that ten to $50,000 a month, I would say, uh, most often. And it's that seller that doesn't know how to get to that next level. But I feel like the lever to pull in every single time in those situations is the access to capital in order to say, I can take this really great case study and build it larger, most often than not because of the inventory issues. And I think that's almost 90 to 100% of the time an issue for those middle sellers. Is that what you're seeing as well? Absolutely. And I think, you know, especially in the current times. So like, you know, one of, one of our customers, uh, they were talking to me about the fact that they currently have one of their, um, one of their big shipments. It's sitting in the ocean. It's supposed to be coming over from China, but it's stuck. And, you know, they kind of have felt like, you know, they just have learned from this lesson, I suppose. Uh, they already actually had tried to do something that I think a lot of founders are doing ahead of this, which is realizing that, you know, if you order a bigger shipment, you can get a discount often from your partner, right? And, you know, the way to unlock that is, well, if you can get capital to let you do that, can you offset the cost of the capital with the savings that you're going to make um, in that inventory shipment? And, you know, to your point about, you know, founders who are stuck at a certain level, you know, it's because, hey, their margins are only pushing them to a certain place. And if they could actually access a deal like that, they could take their business to that next stage. And so, you know, I see things like that happening all the time. And it's really great if we can, you know, help an entrepreneur get, get you know, funding at a 6% fee and, you know, really offset the cost in that way and, yeah, be able to go and unlock that additional growth. Yeah. Why, why 6%? What, what's the, uh, the math behind that? Do you mind me asking of, is it just because of competitors or anything like that? I mean, I'm curious, like it's not a round number, but it's like, what's 6%? Um, is that, you know, there's a lot of different fees and structures, not too much, not too low. That's the, that's the yeah, uh, Goldilocks so. of fees. I think it's that, and I think it's that, but it's, it's also, it just balance helps us also make our own unit economics kind of work in terms of what does it cost us to access capital? And what does it cost us to, you know, find the folks who are working with us to you know, acquire our customers and, you know, pay any, you know, there's some losses that we make as well, because, you know, although, you know, we want, you know, 99% of the companies to, to fund us back, um, you know, there is that those few cases where it doesn't work out. So managing those different things and that cost structure just to make it a win-win deal for everybody. Gotcha. Is there, um, Cause I was looking, I was looking as well. You guys don't just, the funding doesn't stop at just sellers online too, because there's, there's lots of different business models in terms of, um, just online selling a product. Obviously you can do uh, some subscription based services. Um, there's SaaS models, there's everything like that. Do you guys touch anything along the service slide or a service provider side of, um, it, it's not a tangible product, but it might be a service. Yeah, well, you know, the reason why we fund really on focus on e-commerce and subscription focused businesses is because they're a little bit more repeatable and predictable. And effectively, we're just trying to fund any type of business where if we were able to give them that additional capital, they could really unlock growth. And I think the challenge sometimes with service businesses, it just depends on the service business, but often service businesses are very human centered. So, you know, unlocking significant scale is a challenge 
right? Because you're really depending on people to drive that growth. So it depends on the business and how they're offering the service and what they do. But, um, you know, that, that's kind of our thinking. We're really focused on those businesses where they, you know, want more fuel for the fire, but they just don't want someone to take a piece of the pie. Of course. Yeah. And I think that's every entrepreneur's biggest fear is uh, giving away a piece of what their hard, their hard-earned work is doing. And the only reason that they're getting it is because they have access to that. Um, and I'm assuming it's an emotional uh, attachment or uh, you're, you're getting people at their either emotional lowest or their emotional uh, peak uh, potentially, or they're on their way there because of the excitement of what they're growing. They just need that extra fuel to the fire. <laughs> but I got, the, I got this, uh, this note and I've, I've heard it come from you in, in some past articles I read about the company is uh, you have a, you, you tell people about a, a fundraising winning mindset and I heard either, I forget, it was you or I read it on something else that you said it's like dating. What, what, what is that, the kind of that the type of thought process that you have? Yeah. Well, absolutely. I, you know, I think when you're an entrepreneur trying to, trying to go after funding, it's not easy. It's going to be, you know, one of the most frustrating, time-draining activities that you as a founder have to undertake as part of your company's growth strategy. And, you know, early on when you're like a small team, Fundraising efforts just consume far more time than you'd want them to. But, you know, if you if you want to raise equity, at least, um, there is just no shortcut to that process. And so I think you do need to have a real strong fundraising mindset. And I, th I think it basically centers around like a few different ideas. Like one is, is just about planning ahead. Right. So fundraising is just is a process. It can take time and it's really quick. And, you know, the earlier you start planning your process and developing relationships, the better off you're going to be and the more likely you're going to avoid fundraising in like desperation mode. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, having a winning fundraising mindset is about expecting rejection because you just have to embrace rejection as part of the process and not take it personally because rejection just happens sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for dumb reasons, sometimes for reasons that will forever remain a mystery. And I think the other thing about it is that, you know, practice makes perfect. Because like every meeting that you go to with a potential investor, it makes you better for that next meeting. And so, you know, the success or failure of one meeting is never the end of your story. It's just a step along the way. I love that mindset. But have you ever have you ever felt that sense of rejection and you took it personally? Is that is that something where it just takes a little bit of time? Like you said, you've been to hundreds of meetings yourself, have gone through and have seen that rejection before. Is that just a, a muscle you have to start working out and... No one likes getting rejected. I would think um, if if you do, then I I, I I personally don't know what's wrong with you, but uh, I I never like being told no because you always want to have that sense of uh, you either you're right mentality or you also want to be on the right path. Um, but obviously, the natural expectations are you have to. There's always going to be those economies of scale, right? 50, 50, 50 years, something like that of psychology, but. Is that hard to overcome and achieve in your mind? Well, I think what you got to do is use those no's as fuel and basically learn from every no. So, you know, by analyzing what was said at those meetings, you can quickly learn to like improve on your mistakes. And actually that's the most crucial step in finding the right investor more quickly. You know, just like you analyze your company's metrics, um, it's really a good idea to keep track of like all the questions that you were asked. It's a really good way of you know, ascertaining, like, you know, is your pitch 
um, still ambiguous. And then, you know, when you're asked a question, you have to, you know, follow up on those information requests. And if you get asked the same questions, you know, often, there's a chance that maybe you should be incorporating that into your presentation earlier, or right, or like adding them to an appendix. And like a final thing with that would be, you know, you gotta recognize that maybe in those first investors that you speak to are the folks that you wanna practice with. And, you know, maybe don't put your best eggs forward necessarily first. So if you identify, you know, the top 10, maybe you wanna save those companies for last or save those angels for last and put that list aside. And then when your pitch is actually really strong, you can then feel confident to be able to go to those and really nail it. And when it feels organic, you'll know it and gives you that confidence to be able to actually, you know, go after the funds that you need. Right. Is there, um, what, it, what is the thing that you as an entrepreneur keeps you up at night that either, you know, you have heartburn at the end of the day or when you wake up or you wake up in a, in a sweat in a good or a bad way, what's those things that give you anxiety in that regards, um, in this sort of business? Well, you know, for me, I think, um, and actually in all my businesses, I just think being an entrepreneur is also a lot of responsibility, right? Because you have lots of folks who are depending on their livelihood for you. And that, that can be really stressful at times. And, you know, currently, you know, we, we have 70 people who, who are on our team at the moment. Um, and it's scaled incredibly quickly. But I think also, you know, I got some good advice about that in the past, which was, just to you know, uh, remember as an entrepreneur to, to feel more comfortable with failure because by being comfortable with it, it allows you to take those bigger risks that ultimately will help you succeed. And you know, on that question about the team, you know, it's realizing that you've hired really smart, intelligent, capable people. And you know, if something did not work out, all those people are going to have you know probably no problem being able to find other opportunities and continue in you know in their lives in, in a very happy way. So, you know, I think it's just knowing that gives you some comfort to be able to go out and take the big risks and make stuff happen, and, um, you know, not have to have too many sleepless nights. Uh, and I think that's probably the advice I would have given to myself as well, like, you know, back in the day is to not be so afraid of failing and to, to just go for it. Gotcha. And Asher, I have Asher Ismail again of Uncapped with us. We're talking investing and the unique and different ways of funding businesses as they grow, especially in e-commerce. Asher, what's the, what, what, I know that you're kind of, this is a new company for you, two years old, you said the the, fan, the fantastic things you guys are already doing is incredible um, from what I'm hearing. W what's that in game for you and your team? I guess, is there is there a market that you want to not take over, but really empower people in? Uh, have you not achieved that yet? Or what's kind of the, the goal that you all are shooting for? Yeah, I mean, our overall vision is a world where every founder has access to the capital and knowledge they need to grow big. And I guess that just reflects like my own experiences of, you know, being an entrepreneur and getting stuck at a certain stage, you know, and until I had been able to find the right mentors and the right advice and the right insights, that's smart money. Um, I was kind of stuck in one way, but also I really felt like if I was able to access capital on those fair terms, I would have actually been able to build a much bigger business because I wouldn't have missed out on those growth opportunities. And so that's what we're trying to solve for, you know, every entrepreneur and find different ways to fund different cash flow cycles, people in different countries, people who are in different stages of their business and, you know, unlock those opportunities for more entrepreneurs. Because um, fundamentally, 
You know, I think it's, you know, entrepreneurs who are going to solve our world's biggest problems, right? If you think about what's happening in the economy or what's happening with the environment, it's really entrepreneurs who are going to come up with the solutions to those challenges. So if we enable them to create more opportunities, um, that's just a, yeah, a really inspiring thing to be part of. If you weren't in um, technology and fintech, I call it fintech, uh, in economy and whatnot, what would you, where'd your passions be in and what would you be building right now? Well, you know, I guess I've built a variety of different types of businesses before. So, you know, I, I mentioned I built a marketplace business. Sure. I built a insurance company. I had, you know, an e-commerce store. And I just kind of have seen how all these different business models kind of play out. And I think, you know, if I if I wasn't in, in you know, building a business like this one today, I think more probably would be thinking about how I could be working and actually just helping other founders and advising them to kind of come up with, uh, you know, turn learning maybe from the mistakes that I've made, maybe giving some advice about fundraising and other things. And I feel like that would be really rewarding. Gotcha. Well, I uh, just kind of wrapping up here in the final minutes that we have um, on this episode, I'm curious, 2021 for a lot of entrepreneurs, I think didn't go as planned in various different ways, right? A lot of people are still encountering lots of different barriers um, to overcome. It's just a little bit a little bit harder, a little more costly, um, a little more headaches in terms of being an entrepreneur in the e-commerce world. Uh, what advice do you feel like you yourself give people more often now than you did in the past? Well, I think this time has, as you said, has been a challenging time for some, but it's also been a time full of opportunity, right? We've, you know, we've been on this incredible growth journey of the world of e-commerce. And I don't think it's it's going to go away. Um, and it's unfortunate that some folks, you know, have struggled this year with supply chain challenges and other challenges. But I think the hope is to like learn from that moment and being able to then, you know, uh, capitalize it and make really solid, strong Q1 of uh, you know securing securing the, the capital you need, securing the inventory you need, refining, taking that moment to refine your business and your approach. Um, and yeah, make bigger things happen in, in 2022. Amazing. What are the, what are the plans for you and the team in 2022? Are we, are we going to see you out and about, see lots more events or is there a lot more, what marketing are you, or is it just nose to the nose down pencils up and we're, we're just going to keep accepting people and, or when, when's the next time up we're going to see and hear from the uncapped team or yourself? Well, uh, you know, I think when we're making plans, we definitely always think big. But, you know, when we make progress, we think small. So, I, you know, I think our, our approach in this next period is, is definitely just trying to serve more entrepreneurs. So we're trying to get to more markets. We're already in 22 countries, but we'd love to be you know, deeper in them and really be able to um, really uh, understand the next level of folks there. Spending time in each of those countries. We're, we're a fully remote company. So I have the luxury of being able to travel around the world and get to meet entrepreneurs in lots of different places. And I think that's going to be, um, I'm excited about that because I think we've all been so limited in terms of where we could go in 2021. And so opening up the doors for that in 2022 is yeah, going to be an amazing change. That's amazing. And uh, I, I know a news kind of just broke yesterday on it. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts too. Amazon announced that it wasn't going to accept um, Visa. I, I want to say it was Visa payments um, for either sellers or as entrepreneurs because of the fees that they're negotiating. I'm not sure what your take is on that. And I don't want to put any words in your mouth, but do you have any sort of like initial thoughts, ideas around 
that or takeaways on in, in the payment world, obviously there's a fee associated with any time someone uses some sort of fame, uh, payment, obviously with Visa using that with Amazon, but Amazon is stonewalling and say, we will not accept this anymore. What are your initial takeaways and thoughts on that? I'm just well, imagine that must be really um, impacting your world, of course, um, given some of the work that you guys do of, of managing payments. Um, for us, you know, uh, we see our customers, they use a variety of different payment platforms and it all, it's always a pain when, you know, that's that critical thing, that last step in the, in the journey. And when there's an additional cost that then can, you know, get in the way of what the economics of your business, it's super frustrating. So I just feel for entrepreneurs who are, you know, thinking about that and not being stuck in that situation. And I would say, you know, what's the best thing you can do? You can try to find other areas of cost or can you accelerate your growth? Right. And sometimes, um, yes, there's definitely a savings opportunity. You can get somewhere else to keep your margins going. But on the flip side, maybe there's an opportunity to to get some economies of scale in another way. And so it's just thinking, you know, continuously what I think every entrepreneur is trying to do is how can you tweak all the levers in their business to overcome that um, and try to still you know, give customers the payment platforms that they want. The key debate, of course, is do you just try to get your customers on a different payment platform? What percentage of customers do you lose in the process if you do? And I think that's the, the math and calculation. And it's, it's a tricky one, right? What Absolutely. would you say about that out of curiosity? No, that's a good question. Um, it, it's going to affect a lot of, it's affecting a lot of sellers. And I know Visa is one of the more widely accepted payment providers. I'm doing a little more research too, and to dive in, it, it's been done in the past on, by Amazon for reasons of negotiating costs, of course. Um, it's a, you, you can't not have it. And I know Visa knows that and Amazon knows that as well. So it's just very much a tactic of who's going to budge first, which in the past, it only takes 24, 48 hours before the other side budges. So again, at a platform as powerful as Amazon, again, has the ability to negotiate at scale. And when it comes to financial terms, that's kind of what they're working with right now. So again, it's, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a tactic that not a lot of us have the ability to to kind of put into play and has power um, has power like that. So I'm I'm curious to watch it and see how it unfolds and can't imagine the partnership deals that are trying to be unfolded right now and negotiated on that on that quick scale, if you will. So it's very fascinating for sure. A lot of people are watching it, but Asher, you and your team doing so much great stuff. Obviously, in the two years, I call them. Not pan I wouldn't say this is this probably was in the works before the pandemic, but for all the great things that you're doing for e-commerce and direct to consumer uh, entrepreneurs, what are the best ways to either get in touch with you or um, your team over there? Yeah, absolutely. So you can always reach us at um, weareuncapped.com is our site. But I actually had a little special offer for the folks who are listening. Um, oh, so you know, nice. if you run an e-commerce store and you are doing at least 10k per month. And you either want to, you know, scale your marketing campaigns faster or purchase inventory. Obviously, we would love to help. And in October, um, we ran this um, super successful campaign and funded hundreds of store owners. And we gave them basically up to 50K absolutely free. So there was no fee attached. Normally, we charge 6%. But in October, we did it for exactly zero. So on our website, you won't find mention of it anymore. It's gone. But we thought for listeners of Crossover Commerce, um, we would maybe make it happen again. So all you have to do is reach out to me at asher at weareuncapped.com with the subject line secret 50K and a bit about you to see if you qualify. And uh, yeah, we'd be really excited to hear about your store and, and make it happen. 
Sorry about that. The dog in the background decided to wake up at the last second. I didn't have it muted on. Uh, no, that's some fantastic offer, and we'll make sure we put it in the uh, the comments in the show notes as well. We'll have to get that. And make sure we uh, blast it out to all of our social uh, networks as well. So, um, yeah, we'll make sure the directions um, offsite we get all of that and put it into the the box and make sure everyone listening can take advantage of that. Of course, that's an awesome. That's an amazing offer. I would I would definitely take advantage of that in that position. So, but thank you so much, Os, uh, Asher and uh, team for staying up late. I know in the UK it's Friday night and it's what six p.m. maybe seven p.m. close to it um, at night over there. So thank you for staying up late your time earlier in our uh, U.S. time and educating us on how you guys are changing the e-commerce world and the investment world. And I can't wait to see how you guys grow and see the the blossoming nature of what your business is taking off. So congratulations on the success and future growth. Hey, thanks so much, Ryan. It was really great to be here. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Asher. And thank you as, as well, everyone else who is tuning in live with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. I'm Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce. If you liked what you heard, uh, go ahead and give us a thumbs up. Or if you are listening to our episode on your favorite podcast nation, whether it be on Amazon Music, uh, Shopify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever you listen to your favorite shows, go ahead and give us a thumbs up and we'd be more than happy to uh, take your feedback if you liked what you heard. If you have some questions, to get in touch with our guest, Asher Ismail of Uncapped, just let us know. Um, tag us in the comment section and we'll make sure you get, get in touch and get advantage of that awesome, amazing promotion as well. But uh, for everyone else, if you're uh, listening to this live, have a great weekend. Be safe out there. And of course, tune in next week. I know it's holidays for lots of people, but we're going live twice next week before the holiday season really kicks off. We'll call it in quotations before the holiday season really kicks off and uh, and really takes advantage of the busyness of the holiday season. We'll have We'll be talking international marketplaces. We'll be talking about lots of different uh, other things in the Amazon and e-commerce world. But make sure you subscribe to our channels and uh, follow us on social media. That's the best way to know when we go live and know when there's other crossover commerce episodes available. Go ahead and check out usa.pingmonax.com forward slash podcast for all of our past episodes. This one will also be there as well. I'm Ryan Kramer, and this is my corner of the internet called Crossover Commerce. We'll see you guys next time. Take care.